0: to help Cam H treat addiction and build hope. I'm joined today by Emma Rose title. She is a Maclean's Magazine columnist, a National Magazine Award winner, and my first cousin.
1: You just couldn't find anybody else, could you? Hi, Emma. Hello, Jesse. I,
0: I think it's becoming clear to our listeners that uh, Canada's uh, brave new independent media is just as nepotistic and corrupt as Canada's old corporate media. Um, give me a second here, Emma. I want to just take that head on because people are going to say to me that like I'm obviously just doling out favors uh, to my family here, and we should be clear about this because Emma is much younger than me. Uh, How old are you?
1: I'm 25 years old. She's much
0: younger than me. uh, But her salary as a journalist is uh, already higher than mine. She has already won a gold National Magazine Award. I I only have a silver. I'm an aging straight white dad. She is a hip, young, queer... What I'm getting at here is that uh, Emma's brand is already stronger than mine. So, like, if anyone is doing a favor for a cousin here, it's Emma.
1: First of all, that is the nicest thing you've ever said about me. Thank you. Second of all, how do you know my salary? I
0: know everything about the media in Canada. Um... (laughs) I I should clarify, though, that your personal brand is not why I've asked you here today. I've asked you here today because you always have intelligent and smart things to say, and and you have been arguing with me about the news since you were like eight years old.
1: And And I should add, I have been winning. It's
0: debatable, but should we get on with it? Yes. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jerry Deacon, Emily Brown... Sean LaRose, Tennis L. Mercer, Sean Soderman, Travis Reitzma, Emily Rossi, Jonathan Wooten, Max Lupo, and Haley Kenyon. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at betterhelp.com canadaland That's betterhelp.com slash Canada It's on days like this where, you know, the story takes a number of different uh, pathways, a number of uh, changes occur, and often rumors uh, start in a situation like this. We're trying to keep them out of our coverage, but when they come sometimes from official sources, like members of parliament, uh, you tend to give them uh, some credence. Uh, but you carefully weigh it with what we're also witnessing.
2: Terror
1: on Canada's Parliament Hill. There is a
2: shooter on the loose. There were numerous gunmen. Two or more shooters currently on the Parliament roof. The
0: potential that this was a, another terror attack. A Canadian claiming to be with ISIS posted this message on Twitter. I have a friend who's with the Ottawa Police Department, and I texted him a few minutes ago, and here's what he replied back. And
2: tonight, Canada's capital, Ottawa, is still on alert.
0: All right. So that is the very uh, reasonable and sober and stoic Peter Mansbridge just sort of taking us by the hand through the horrible events of the shooting in Ottawa, contrasted with the hyper sensationalistic tabloid American media making hay out of this national tragedy. Um, We all know that narrative of of, uh, the Canadian media having done so well that day. It was
1: almost like we were congratulating ourselves on our our balanced coverage five minutes after the shooting happened. I kept seeing Facebook status updates, you know, with, with headlines from American media, just juxtaposed with ours. Meanwhile, we're still reporting things wrong.
0: Well, that's it. And, and like, uh, it was just on the heels. I mean, before we even knew what happened, we were already uh, patting ourselves on the back. I mean, like, listen to some of this.
1: Yesterday, we were given a masterclass by CBC and Peter Mansbridge on how one should actually cover an historic event. And
2: not to get too political, but I think this does sort of demonstrate the importance of a strong, well-funded public broadcast.
1: Here, here.
0: First and foremost, we have a picture up here. Of the headline in Canada, No Time to Be Afraid in Canada, compared with, quote, Terrified Capital on CNN.com. There simply is no comparison between the US media and the Canadian media. They blow us out of the water. I am embarrassed to be American. A writer at TV Newser lauded Mansbridge's coverage, saying it wasn't loud and urgent, it was quiet and somber. And as such, it felt very, very important. It felt proper. It was proper. (laughs) I mean, isn't that interesting? It was proper. Like we have to make a distinction here between matters of tone and matters of substance. Everybody seemed to agree on the tone that the tone of the American stuff is disgusting. And that's the, that's the proper tone for something horrible as it's happening is, is the tone that Mansbridge had. Um, but what about the content matters of substance? Like the act, like this is the news, right? Like it matters if you get it right. I feel like it's calmed down and we can finally talk about it without people getting really emotional. Um, There was a, there was a moment there for a few days where it felt like, I felt like I couldn't talk about any kind of critique of the national narrative that we were building. Mitch he said some nice things about me recently. I'm going to like come right back and and, and give it to him. He's got some balls on him because he was out there like days after the shooting on iPolitics and uh, just pointing out everything that was wrong with the Canadian coverage and this, this romance that we were building around our, our, the way we handled it. So he, and you know, the first thing he pointed out, we're talking about news is everything we got wrong. So the Canadian coverage is so great. Well, uh, there's a quote. We were told there were two or more shooters wrong. We were told the shooting was likely linked to the hit and run death of the other soldier in Quebec. And that there, there was some wider conspiracy afoot. That was wrong. We were told that the shooter, Michael zahef Bebo, was on a high risk traveler list. Wrong. We were told he wanted to go to Syria. That was wrong. Even the, uh, the idea of the hero, you know, every story needs a hero. The sergeant at arms hero story, that was collapsing or, or perhaps that has collapsed. I mean, you know, uh, the guy was shot at least a dozen times and possibly dead before Kevin Vickers fired his gun. And not only did the Canadian media get a lot of things wrong, they didn't get the true information first. CBS News was the first to identify the name of the shooter. And, and that was leaked to American officials by Canadian officials who then leaked it to the American press. So if you really want to contrast the American press to the Canadian press, you could point out that the American press actually reported the news first. As we step away from this and that, that kind of moment where it felt like, oh, my God, Ottawa is under attack and who knows? And ISIS is like at our door and maybe there were three shooters like that's that's like dissolving now. And I think everyone's kind of just like reckoning with the possibility that this was just like one mentally disturbed drug addict with a gun.
1: That's true. But there's a difference between tone. And I think what he was criticizing was the sentimentality of it, you know, that he mentions in his piece – Yeah. In the States, when immediately after there was a hockey game between the Leafs and the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Penguins played, it was a home game in Pittsburgh and they played the Canadian national anthem. And he criticizes that in his piece and the whole, this whole tone of, of Mansbridge as this grandfatherly figure. Personally, I like that when there is some kind of crisis on Parliament Hill or wherever, I may be very sentimental, but I find that very reassuring. I like to turn on the TV and see Peter Mansbridge being a grandfather. If you're talking about the actual reporting and the accuracy, that's totally different. And I think that's a question of just the news cycle being in hyperspeed and we report tweets as facts.
0: Okay. A couple things there. Let's take it apart because I agree. Like when you're scared, um, I mean, I feel like we've almost done away with the need for like Walter Cronkite to come on at the end of the day or some other, you know, grandfather and tell you like, that's the kind of world we live in today. Everything is going to be OK, except when shit like this goes down. And then we remember that we love to have grandpapa who's like preferably like a graying old white dude to kind of just like everything's going to be OK. And and it was like so, so like, you know, you say um, I like that. I liked it, too. But. You know who else Is that likes the news? it? You
1: know who else likes it? Kids like it. Yeah. When I was like I don't know, 11, and the, the Twin Towers went down. I liked that stuff. I turned on the TV, and it made me feel better to hear people saying, well, I'll stick together and to see people singing the national anthem, even though it wasn't my own But is that
0: the, the role of journalism, to like, be like an emotional solve on the insecurity you're feeling? Like, the job is to tell you what's going on, and we failed at that. That's not just we man's We failed
1: at, at telling people what was going on, yeah. and that is a bad thing and a failure, but I think we can improve reporting and the accuracy of reporting and still have that nice, sentimental Tone. I think it makes a lot of sense that you're into this angle because you like to pretend that you're this, you know, hard, cynical guy when you're really just a teddy bear, <laughs> and everybody should know, yeah. the truth. Well, when shit went
0: down, I, I, I was a teddy bear who wanted to just like curl up in, in you know, Grandpa Petey's arms and, and have my head patted. I did, I, I did, and I, and I certainly was like. Any kind of, like, skeptical or critical or curious thought I had about the coverage, I kept to my fucking self because I, I understood the tone. There's a double edge to it because, like, there's the, there's the comfort of having that grandfatherly tone, but it also is a warning. You know, it's like, don't stray from this fucking narrative, okay? We need our heroes And we're coming together as a nation. And Harper's going to hug his opponents. And then, meanwhile, some new legislation is getting thrown. Like immediately, those connections were being made, and a very cynical government was was the machinations were afoot, and the 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 connection to ISIS was being made, where like it wasn't really found in the facts. So I I I don't know that I can kind of just like, well, what's the harm if we just want to be made to feel nice, you know? Because there might be a harm to that. Emma, tell me about this recent column of yours.
1: So I wrote a column about the public reaction to Robin Williams' suicide in the summer, and I compared that with Amanda Bynes and her current sort of unraveling in the public eye. Amanda Bynes, if you don't know, she was an actress who I don't was know. yeah. So when I was in maybe grade five or six, every day I'd come home and I'd watch the Amanda Bynes show which was her own sort of variety comedy show where she would play herself and she would also play um, a, a stalker. She would dress up in character and she would play her own stalker. And so the this, this show would shift between her on stage and she would be doing her thing and then she'd go backstage and then her stalker would come out. Her name was Penelope Taint and her stalker was this clearly mentally ill kind of crazy person who, sorry, this doesn't make sense. You're losing sorry. me a bit, but she, she was like
0: a child star and, and, and being crazy yeah, was part was of her Yeah, she was a child shake.
1: star and she would pretend to be crazy. Right. And so now the the weird, the irony is that now she, she actually is crazy. She's clearly, she just came out actually today and said that she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Uh-huh. So before, for the past two years, people have just been speculating based on her erratic public behavior. She's been throwing bongs out of windows, uh, tweeting at various celebrities, telling them they're ugly, making a lot of racist slurs. And throughout this whole ordeal, most of the, the coverage, not just from tabloids, has, has been very unsympathetic.
0: Okay, so two crazy celebrities who you argue the media treats very differently. Let's actually listen to some of the media treatment of them, okay. uh, starting with uh, you know how everyone reacted to, to Williams' suicide. I hate to have to report this Actor Robin Williams is dead at the age of
2: 63. From apparent suicide, that is all the information that we're getting at the moment. The world has lost one of its true comic geniuses. For all of his wild, often improvised humor on stage and on screen, nanu, nanu. behind the scenes he struggled mightily with substance abuse and depression.
1: We all are celebrating here the premiere of Expendables, but at the same time we are mourning the loss of such a great man.
0: Uh, It's almost unimaginable how someone who seems to have so much joy in his life, how he brings so much joy to others, could be in a state of misery.
1: Depression is a disease and unfortunately for Robin he wasn't able to seek the appropriate help. There's just one positive glimmer from this tragedy, it is that we are having an open dialogue about the state of mental illness and the negative stigma that's attached. They are
0: problems that affect not just the famous, but millions of people.
1: What's being done in Canada
2: to bring these issues out of the shadows?
0: So there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone took it very seriously. Um, Arnie soldiered on. He still was able to celebrate the expendables, <laughs> but uh, also mourn the loss of, of Robin Williams. And, you know, we all did. And, and here's how the media reacts to uh, Amanda Bynes.
1: Amanda Bynes, you know, know, the more you hear about the story,
0: the
2: sadder it gets. The more bizarre, too. She's
1: one of the top trends this afternoon. She tweeted to Drake that she wanted him to murder her vagina. I mean, we're assuming she means sexually. It's kind of hard to tell with these crazy celebrities. I
2: wish I could take it easy on her, but sometimes some of the things that comes out of her mouth, you know, she calls a lot of people ugly, Jay-Z,
0: and Rihanna. All I can really do is, is, is pray for her, to be quite honest. Here with Jimmy Fallon, who's nominated for his late show. I
2: gotta be, uh, I'm just happy to be alive. I gotta be honest. What's wrong? Amanda Bynes gave me a ride. Over. (laughs) Okay, so there's Amanda Bynes walking into a liquor store to wash gasoline off her dog. Is there somebody with the last name Bynes that can please come get her? Evidence that the troubles could all be manufactured for attention. Could her recent public outburst be a cry for help?
0: Okay, so, so what did you make of that? I mean, there's obviously a difference there, but like...
1: Well, I want to be clear first that obviously Robin Williams committed suicide. Amanda Bynes has not committed suicide. So it makes sense that that the coverage of the former would be bigger and more sympathetic than the coverage of the latter. However, Amanda Bynes clearly needs help and she has not gotten any of the the supposed sympathy that we're, we're supposed to be giving mentally ill people right now.
0: And why do you think this distinction exists?
1: Well, I think this distinction exists mostly because Amanda Bynes is suffering in public and the things she's doing are very weird and make us uncomfortable. And it's harder to sympathize with somebody who makes homophobic racist slurs. And Robin Williams suffered in silence. I think there's also a bit of sexism at play here. The way we view women is generally we see them as We aren't surprised when they're more hysterical. We aren't surprised when they cry, whereas when it comes to men, we are surprised. And so I think it's easier for men to be stoic and for us to view them as as being stoic than it is for us to view women this way.
0: Yeah, I mean, mean, let's be clear. You didn't write a column about how, you know, Robin Williams was treated better because he's dead uh, than than Amanda Bynes. You wrote a column about like a gendered thing, like a sexist distinction between how we treat female mental illness And male mental illness. I mean, you wrote about the distinction between essentially treating somebody like a tortured artist versus treating somebody like a crazy bitch. Exactly. That's what you wrote. I have some things to say about that, but uh, Barbara Kay had some things to say about that as well. So Barbara Kay, uh, you know, longtime journalist and and, and columnist, uh, mother of of Jonathan Kay, who has been on on Canada Land and and who's now the editor of The Walrus. uh, Here's what she said. She said, titles... Apples to oranges comparison makes no sense. There is no logical indicator pointing to gender as a causal link to the disparity in public reactions. But there are other obvious facts that better explain why the public accorded Williams more sympathy than they do to Bynes. Williams is dead. Bynes is alive. Williams suffered in Stoic silence, protecting those he loved from public displays that could be hurtful to them. Bynes has offended minorities and caused an innocent family member, horrible humiliation and pain. She's referring to Bynes accusing her dad of molestation, which turned out to be bullshit. Um, that all sounds reasonable. What, what Barbara Kay is saying there like, to me, that's like, yeah, I don't know if like both in terms of the fact that one is alive and one is dead and that Williams didn't do any of this public stuff to make other people's lives horrible. And it's also kind of relevant that like, if it's about the tortured artist, um, idea, Robin Williams. I'm not the biggest Robin Williams fan, but he was. Yeah, I know uh, he you're not. Noticed, you know. said
1: many disparaging things about <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire and Flubber.
0: And look how you ignore all the things I said about the Fisher King.
1: No wonder like, you don't like Peter Mansbridge.
0: I don't see the connection there either. That's another Apple to oranges one. But like, at least there, Barbara K is making. I, I agree with her. I think I that,
1: agree with her too.
0: Yeah, and 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 I think I could I could, I could point holes in your argument, like. Um, we certainly didn't treat Charlie Sheen with a lot of respect when he was having like a very public, um, you know, psychological meltdown. Well, there
1: you've just destroyed me.
0: It's over. <laughs> but I also think there's a nugget of truth. Like, it's totally true what you're saying. Like, okay, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll go on the other way. Like Amy Winehouse. Okay. Now that, um, to whatever extent addiction is a mental illness or not, but here was a woman who was of undeniable genius level talent and who was in front of our eyes, dying and was clearly in need of help. And who our reaction to this was like, there was like an uh, Amy Winehouse death watch and she was treated like, oh, crazy crack whore. Like like there was totally a gender discourse there that I don't think would have been in place.
1: Yeah. I think we expect this kind of behavior from women or when it happens, we're not surprised. But when men show that they're suffering from mental illness and start Displaying erratic behavior, we are more sympathetic, and we view them as being stoic when they start to address their issues, or when they come out and say that they're going to address their problems. Yeah, but then you did kind of disprove my argument with Charlie Sheen.
0: I just almost feel like you 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 need like better examples. I think like your point is right, but your examples are 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 they don't quite click.
1: Brittany shaved her head. Yeah, she was going through some tough things.
0: Yeah, we certainly didn't go easy on her. No, but there's more to this. Because that article about you that Barbara K wrote is only one of the articles that Barbara K wrote about you. Here's what Barbara K has said about you um, throughout her extensive coverage of you. A smugness, a sense that her own meager trove of received wisdom suffices, that she need not challenge herself with further study in order to justify her privileged podium, colours, titles, entire oeuvre to date. Uh, Another quote here, uh, carelessly expending the least possible effort in building an argument, which is title's standard modus operandi, can make for superficially peppy prose. But all too often her hot air-filled columns collapse to limp shreds of empty platitudes with the merest prick of even one actual evidence-based fact. Title is not without writing competence... And basic intelligence. She gave you that.
1: What more do you need?
0: Sadly, titles, language, spirit of inquiry, and jejune columns stand Ooh. in awkward contrast to the mature journalism so amply on display in shamingly close proximity to her own.
1: That is harsh. Well, to be fair to Barbara Kay, in 2011, when I just started working at Maclean's, um, I wrote a blog post about her columns. She uses the word elites more than Doug Doug Ford does. Uh So basically, I just listed how many times she's used the word elite in the last year or so. I just went through her columns and I was like, everybody is an elite. Left, right, center, it doesn't matter. She's always railing against elites. And I thought that was funny. So I wrote a short blog post about it.
0: So you started it?
1: I started it. And I just want to say, Barbara, if you're listening, I want this to end. I want to make peace. And the method I've chosen to do that is... Uh, song so Barbara if you're listening I wrote a song for you. it's called B and E.
0: Let's hear it
2: Barbara K we don't have a lot in common but if you're game I'd like to take you out for ramen Barbara K. We'll get cozy at Rio G. Barbara K. you'll really get to know me. And you'll see that we can be best friends forever.
0: That was Canada Land Shortcuts this week. I hope you liked it. You can email me at jessie at jessiebrown.ca. I read them all. I respond when I can.
2: We're both... Jewesses with conviction. We can work it out.
0: I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown, and Emma's Twitter handle is Emma Rose Title.
1: The title is spelled like Kaitel, like Harvey Kaitel. In case you're confused.
0: Thank you, Emma. The website is at CanadaLandShow.com, and the crowdfunding page is at Patreon.com/slash/CanadaLand.
2: We'll go to men's rights rallies Dyke bars too Little bit of me and a little bit This episode
0: of you. was produced by Andrew Norton We will have another episode up for you on Monday If you like Canada Land, support it
2: We'll walk hand in hand Through the oil sands Burning books by Betty Friedan I'll take you to Bonnaroo We'll meet Molly under the moon. And you'll say, hey, it's okay to be gay. And I'll say, hey, it's okay to be gay. Barbara, Barbara, Barbara K have to be this way Barbara 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 Kay I really hope we can be friends someday
0: I, I, I cannot believe you wrote that <laughs> this is gonna be so weird <laughs> it is really weird. Yeah. Forever. Yeah.